Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Menashe. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people, and today is no exception. We have an amazing guest all the way from Newark, New Jersey, from the New Jersey Institute of Technology. Welcome to the show, Sanchoy Das. Thank you, Victor. So excited to be on your show here. Great to have you here. Now, you don't come from the world of real estate investing, but you are, you're an engineer and you study supply chains. Uh, which is making headlines all across the nation every day of the week. I'd love to get a perspective on what's happening in global supply chains, local supply chains, and get a sense from you in terms of what you see over the next several months. Um, but maybe before we do that, maybe give a little bit of your background and how you got to this point in your journey. Well, Victor, I'm a professor in um, sort of industrial engineering at uh, NGIT, and I study supply chains and have been studying them for, uh, you know, uh, quite a while now. And more interestingly, nowadays, I study primarily supply chains in this sort of internet world where people are just ordering things on a click. And this is not just people who are buying socks on the internet. They're buying appliances. They're buying lighting fixtures, a whole bunch of your Home Depot type of catalog, which your sort of listeners are going to be interested. So I studied those supply chain and I just recently wrote a book and it's doing pretty well, Fast Fulfillment, The Machine That Changed Retail. And he talks about those uh, supply chains. Uh, now that said, you know, the word supply chain, just a few months ago, only those of us who were in the field knew what it meant. Now I don't need to explain to people. Everybody knows what's a supply chain. You open CNN and it's the... It's the headline. There's a ship outside of Long Beach, California. Something's happened in Shanghai. Truckers are, are behind schedule. So that's how supply chain, I'm so excited, has become like a buzzword today. Well, it used to be the case when manufacturing was local, before we started this era of globalization and moving to lower cost manufacturing centers. But you know, a lot of people think that uh, many of these moves were made for the sole purpose of get, getting access to lower cost labor. And that may have been part of it. But in a lot of cases here in North America, there simply wasn't the interest and the desire for pre people from a career standpoint to move into your field, industrial engineering and manufacturing engineering. And often we had to go to Asia to find access to those skills and to that expertise. Absolutely right. And that's what we're seeing today. When you have this sort of globally dispersed supply chain, you actually are creating globally dispersed risk. So that faucet, which you need to complete the house, is being produced in Malaysia. And somewhere along that supply chain, which was, to be honest, was working fantastically well till just a year or so ago, now suddenly has all these rumblings and we are getting all kinds of effects from even low cost items, just low cost items affecting the supply chain. Uh, people are thinking that a lot of this will come back to the US. Uh, I doubt very much. Some of it will, but not all of it. Definitely not all of it. Yeah, I agree with that completely. And I think one of the things that has been also part of the mantra over the last 30 years in particular is the idea, if you look at Walmart, you look at Dell, uh, all of these companies that have really mastered supply chain optimization, whether you talk about just-in-time manufacturing, just-in-time inventory pick and place, or you don't even own the inventory that's on your shelf until it's sold to the end customer. It's really all been about getting inventory, at least on the books, down to zero. And guess what? They got what they asked for. We now have inventories at zero. Exactly. So the 
in all supply chains, the optimal goal was have low inventory. That was a fantastic thing. Until, of course, this pandemic hit and supply chains started to you know, slow down, that's when you, it really hit you. So, for example, in the real estate industry, when builders, they, a lot of them were doing just-in-time purchasing. And one of the reasons is you can't hold inventory in a building site. You, know, you can just have today and tomorrow's worth of materials. And that trickled through the supply chain. And now suddenly, when all this um, sort of freight is backed up, uh, you're getting these issues uh, across the supply chain. Well, in fact, on our, if I think about our most recent construction projects, we just completed an assisted living project where, frankly, we purchased, pre-purchased all of the materials at the start of construction. We did not do the just-in-time, and thankfully we did that because we did not experience the the run-up in, in lumber prices. We had security of supply for most items, you know, when it came to, we didn't buy refrigerators in advance and things like that. We expected those to be in stock and lo and behold, they were not. But we were able to manage that simply by doing component substitution in a lot of cases. But even today, our current construction projects, we are purchasing CCAN containers, the containers that would be coming off a, a container ship, and we're parking them on the job site so that we can locally warehouse materials for the life of the project. Exactly. So a lot of uh, people are using these sort of quick or new solutions to overcome the supply chain constraints. You know, like you said, having inventory on the site and that wonderful word you use, com component substitution. So we promised faucet A. Okay, well, heck, it's not going to happen. We can give you faucet C or lighting fixture D. So people are switching whatever is available and they're trying to complete projects using those kinds of things to sort of uh, manipulate this uh, supply chain. Absolutely. And where it gets difficult is when, oh, let's say a, a component comes and it's defective. Now you've got to get a replacement that matches. You can't component substitute. You know, if you have 40 closet doors in a building and now one of them is going to be different because there's a 10-week lead time, that doesn't work. You've still got to get a matching door. Those types of things start to become a little bit more difficult because your opportunity for component substitution becomes a little bit more difficult. Correct, exactly. So when you have a, a batch of items, then the challenges of a component substitution uh, increases. So even if you had a building and you cannot put a different faucet in every sort of unit, then you'd get inconsistency in that kind of an environment. So I'm a big fan of the theory of constraints. I don't know if you follow the work of Ellie Goldratt. Yes, yes. What he talks about is that anytime this in the system, there's going to be a constraint. It might be time, might be money, might be a critical resource. In this case, it's items in the supply chain that are often those critical chain items. How do you approach, as you're taking your students through their industrial engineering projects, how are you approaching the discussion of supply chain uh, specifically in the context of, say, theory of constraints? So theory of constraints, as you know, is a, a very old technique, very popular technique and widely used and every now and then it becomes more important when a constraint start kicking in. So the supply chain historically was not a constraint. We had become so efficient that, you know, we had taken it away from the constraint mode and now suddenly uh, it has uh, become a constraint. So what we try to tell uh, in the classroom and to other uh, sort of business people explain is that how we look at these supply chains is try to build some resilience. So that one way you build resilience is you have a larger number of sort of sources or suppliers. Second is you get alternate sources of uh, sort of buying networks. And then obviously you build inventory. 
And usually the most difficult one is the inventory because as you know, most businesses don't want to tie up capital in that inventory. So I'm sitting with all this inventory uh, and my money's tied up in it. But those are the kinds of things that we are, we are working with. Everybody's hoping next quarter, it's going to become okay. It's going to become normal. Uh, and I too thought it was going to become normal, but it doesn't look like it's going to be next quarter. Maybe end of 2022 now is what we're looking at. Given the alternative, you know, money is still relatively cheap today. So even if you're tying up capital in inventory, you're probably borrowing some of that money. So your cost of capital is not that great. The cost of paying a few percentage points on that money is relatively low compared with the opposite problem of not being able to fulfill orders and losing business because you have no security of supply. So I think people, like you said, are starting to build inventory. That can also create a false sense of demand because as inventories are building, at a certain point, once the once the situation normalizes, then those businesses will stop ordering overnight precipitating an economic downturn because they'll want to bleed off that inventory and the, the orders will cease almost instantly. Exactly. What you have raised is a very critical point. Uh, when we look at certain classes of supply chains, those which uh, move a product which could be cat categorized as commodity in the sense that the prices vary as a closely as a function of supply and demand, the building industry is very in that sort of mode. A lot of the commodities are commodities. And the best example, of course, is lumber. The price of lumber just moves uh, historically. So you, you saw that early this year, we had a huge spike in lumber prices. And some people you know, you know uh, bought excess lumber, stored it. Then the price of lumber suddenly crashed. And so I ended up with having a large expensive inventory. And now I said, next time, I'm not going to get trapped into this thing. So then you again, you go to a lower inventory. Then again, you have to. So commodity supply chains, this is a big uh, issue with them that it takes a while, but they, then they go back to a sort of a normal mode. Otherwise, if you start cutting too many trees, you have excess lumber, you bring it in the supply chain, and the system normalizes then somebody somewhere along the network gets holding the bag with uh, this excess inventory. Exactly. Now, I would actually almost use that inventory cycle as a leading indicator, as a predictor of the next economic downturn, because I think it will happen. Yes. The economic issue with building particularly is that obviously you know that the number of housing starts, et cetera, is followed very closely in, yes. the, in the economics sector. And so now if anybody who, who is sort of has the inventory is building or is taking their building plans down because they feel that there is not going to be enough supply, there is considerable risk that suddenly we may see a, a downturn in housing starts, new housing permits, and actual construction activity then we would have a, a big impact on the economy. And those supply chains, which now people, so that is why a lot of the chemical companies and all who supply stuff into the construction industry are not that keen to suddenly expand capacity to meet this short-term demand because they know that you know these are all boom-bust cycles and then they're going to be left holding the bag with the large supply capacity. Exactly right. That's exactly right. Because we have seen, even though the order backlogs are really extended, we're not seeing manufacturers expand capacity. That's the one thing about this expansion, despite the fact that it seems like it's going to be prolonged. We're not seeing capacity expansion, at least not very much of it. Correct. In the sort of supply chain uh, jargon, there is a phrase called the bullwhip effect. 
so I quickly explain what that is. What happens is that I need, um, you know, a uh, hundred square foot of lumber, but then I decide that, hey, it's getting tough to get. Let me order instead 120, because maybe I'll get 100. My buyer says he ordered 120. I don't know whether I can supply it. Let me go order 150. So it's a bullwhip. People magnify that effect. Uh, so a astute manufacturer who is aware of this uh, sort of behavior doesn't jump onto the wagon and keeps it low. But those who uh, sort of get uh, enticed by it and suddenly produce capacity, they could end up with a lot of inventory, which is then in a market where suddenly the prices start falling down. So if you are a builder, if you are even doing small home renovation projects and having difficulty sourcing components, uh, what would you advise people to do? So one of them is you, you, you need to keep a couple of different ways that you buy the, the, the products. Most builders, you know, they're using a buying network, so like a builder's first source, kind of people who buy stuff from them. So that has become a common source of supply. But now through the internet, we find that there are other kinds of suppliers who are available through sort of internet buying who could potentially give you uh, quick deliveries. Uh, I'm not saying that you can go to Amazon and start buying lumber, but those kinds of sort of buyer networks who are like a secondary buying networks, you can get there. And the third is you, you really need to do the math. You're going to figure out how much you need, when do you need it, and you need to build some inventory in your sort of facility that you are ready. Uh, but you cannot just make those sort of quantity decisions you know, off the seat of your pants. You need to run some mathematical models, some little bit more intelligent buying into what is exactly going on. Absolutely. We're seeing, for example, right now, one of the pinch points for us are both windows and doors, believe it or mm -hmm. not. So I think windows has been widely understood to be a choke point in the, in the industry. And we're seeing lead times right now in around 11 weeks for windows, for glass doors, arguably the same product, but through a slightly different chain, are running at about 14 weeks. So if you're looking to finish a project or even construct a project where you're looking to close the building envelope at the same time, and there's a three-week delta between windows and doors, you have a problem. You've got a three-week problem that you have to somehow manage and resolve. Maybe it's uh, just boarding over those empty openings for a period of time or something, but there's a problem. So sequencing the delivery and driving the whole project based on these uh, critical delivery items, because windows are not commodity, they're all custom. You can't easily component substitute. Yes, lumber you can, absolutely. You know, even kitchen cabinets you can, but windows not so much. Yeah, I, I, you bring up an interesting, we've all heard of the, the chip problem in the automobile supply chain, because yep. we all know there are chip problems there. So in the home building industry, there are a variety of mini chip problems. So like you brought up the issue of windows. So windows, particularly vinyl windows, they are made of some chemical material, you know, PVC or something. These are coming from some chemical manufacturer. The chemical manufacturer is using additives, which is coming from another facility. And that facility might be located somewhere in Asia or other part of the globe. So those mini chip problems, so these all these supply chains are sort of getting constrained because of these issues, even though everything is ready to make that window. So even you say, again, you went to the window and it uses a small latch and the supplier sourced this latch from the cheapest manufacturer located somewhere in China. 
and now that is constrained in the port of Shanghai. And because in the supply chain, it has become low priority. So you have your window sitting, waiting for a small part. So this is becoming a widespread issue in these things. So in the future, what we are going to see is the cheaper components. Maybe we will have much larger inventories of them in the supply chain. Yeah, I love what you're saying. And uh, and I come from the semiconductor industry. I was a microprocessor designer and managed microprocessor development team. So that's this is an area that I know well. This particular segment breaks down depending on you know which particular segment. Most of what drives the semiconductor industry, of course, is consumer electronics. So most of the advanced process technologies are geared towards those relatively short life cycle products. You take a long life cycle product like automotive and they don't run enough volume to have that process running in multiple fabs. So typically you end up being sole sourced out of a single facility, which is what happened in Japan with Renesas, where they had a fire back in March that impacted about 14% of the world semiconductor capacity for the automotive industry uh, and created a, a significant problem for a period of several months for the semiconductor industry. And, and so it's really understanding it's not, you can't just say, you know, chips globally, it's understanding what processes and what specific supply chains. Now, to your point, there are 14 major fabs under construction right now. I think by 2024, we're going to see an excess of supply in the semiconductor industry in a, in a huge way. Excellent. And given that you came from the semiconductor industry, you will remember Micron. And you know, Micron used to make DRAMs and all. And DRAMs were a classical commodity. They would have boom and bust cycles. They would produce a ton of them in good times. They would be all ready and suddenly the price would crash. And then it would go. And if you looked at the stock price of Micron, it trailed that price of those DRAM chips. So uh, commodities uh, you know, can kill you if in, during bad times. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Central, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what would be the best way? Obviously, one is by, by email. They can always reach out to me. My email is das, D-A-S, at N-J-I-T dot E-D-U. And uh, obviously, my book, uh, which is there on, on Amazon called Fast Fulfillment, it explains some of my ideas in this particular space. Fabulous. Fascinating conversation. For the listeners at home, definitely connect with Sanjoy at das at njit.edu and get a copy of his book called Fast Fulfillment, The Machine That Changed Retail. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.